You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Galatians tonight. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. It is, I believe, our fifth study in the fruit of the Spirit. And we're in the final section. There's nine of those in all, nine things making up that fruit. And we've had um, the inward things and the outward things. And now we just have some other goods of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of these good things, the Apostle Paul reminds us, there's no law against these. The things of the flesh, they were against the uh, of spirit, as they were very much also against the law. But of these things, there's no law. It's a universally recognized as good. Let's read the greater context again, as we always do, starting in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16, beginning. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, <coughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So we saw the uh, two great uh, list here, uh, that which you're uh, not to be uh, doing, uh, that which is of the of the uh, flesh of the world, uh, those uh, great list of sinful things, uh, things of sexual lack of control, false religions, bad temper, bad relationships, bad treatment of other people, even uh, substance abuse uh, with drunkenness and carousing, and all the things that were like that. Leave that all behind. Most of that was contrary to the law. All of that's contrary to the Spirit, but instead be led by the Spirit. And we have the fruit of the Spirit, or what the Spirit produces in our lives. And we divided these, as we said, into three parts. And having looked at the first two, the inward attitudes, love, joy, and peace. Then we have the outward displays, patience, kindness, and goodness. And then we have the other goods, uh, the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we looked at the first two groups, the inward and the outward, we looked at the first one of the three at a longer length, a full lesson, and then took the next two uh, in one lesson. So a lesson on love, then a lesson on joy and peace together, then a lesson on patience, then a lesson on kindness and goodness together. We're going to keep that same pattern. We're going to look at faithfulness by itself, uh, such an important concept, and actually in a number of passages, the very thing by which we're saved, a faithfulness in Christ, not a faithfulness just generally of faithfulness, but a faithfulness directed and in Christ. 
And then, uh, Lord willing, next week, the last of these lessons on uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the gentleness and self-control, which will go uh, quite well together, uh, we hope. So, tonight, uh, faithfulness. And so, this uh, faithfulness, yeah, uh, so faithfulness, uh, this is uh, the same word uh, from... Uh, that in the New Testament is often translated as faith. So sometimes it's faith, and sometimes it's faithfulness. And there is, of course, a very great deal of overlap uh, in between those two things, of faith and faithfulness. Of course, a lot of passages will tell us we're going to be saved by faith. Well, we could, in a lot of those places, uh, read in English, we'll be saved by faithfulness just as easily just as well, and we'll get the, the I think, uh, very often uh, the same sense or even maybe a better sense of the passage as we are going to be saved by faith or saved by uh, faithfulness. It's the Greek word uh, pistis. It means a fidelity, a loyalty, trustworthiness. Now, it's um, I think that loyalty and trustworthiness is probably the sense in which in fruit of the spirit, it means here primarily. Uh, going on in the dictionary definition of that word, the character, the character, pardon, of one who's reliable, who can be trusted, uh, one who uh, is, can be counted on. So reliable, trustworthy, uh, you can count on that uh, person. Uh, in the King James, we actually do just have this listed as faith. Uh, we have uh, faith instead of faithfulness, uh, but in most, in all the modern translations, uh, I think they 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 get the sense here better. It, this is because it is such a broad word, and it is the basis of our salvation in Christ. It becomes a very common word in the New Testament. Uh, this word appears two hundred different times in the New Testament, and so if you printed uh, the New Testament in uh, you know, letter-sized uh, sheets of paper, sort of like this. If you printed it in uh, like that, you'd not have, but probably uh, 200 pages total of the New Testament. And so basically it would appear on every page. Uh, of course, it appears in sometimes in great groups uh, together. But it's a word that li- quite literally is on every page of the New Testament. Uh, most of the time, it's referring to our relationship, our attitude, our trust in God and toward uh, Jesus Christ. And it is to be in him that we have an absolute trust and confidence leading to obedience, uh, which is absolutely essential uh, to Christian character and Christian uh, duty. In this case, uh, we're emphasizing that I part, I think, the very much toward others, not just toward God, but toward others as well, uh, as we've seen, uh, this is in between goodness and gentleness. Now, goodness and gentleness are probably not attitudes or qualities that we would normally express toward God. Right? God is good to us. It's not often we say, uh, he's, he's good to God, or I'm good to God. No, we talk about God's that's just goodness on, in that conversation is uh, pretty much and primarily a one-way street. And so in goodness uh, and in kindness, again, we talk about kindness, uh, the kindness of God, 
Uh, we don't usually talk about our kindness to God. And so, and the one after this, gentleness, uh, we're gentle with people, uh, not uh, gentle with God. Hey, that guy, he's really gentle with God, isn't he? Isn't it nice he's so gentle? Toward, no, just doesn't even think our, uh, cross our minds to think in that and, or to speak in that way. So I really do think that uh, faithfulness here in, in this passage is primarily uh, the faithfulness that we exhibit toward other people. Uh, so uh, a faithfulness, a trustworthiness uh, that we are to have in uh, all our relationships, in all those things in which uh, people are supposed to be able to count on us and to rely on us, that they would find us faithful. Uh, we think about from society, uh, what is the uh, motto of the Marine Corps? It's Semper Fidelis in Latin, always faithful, always faithful, or the first uh, part of the, of the uh, Boy Scout law. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, and on it goes. But uh, we teach the youth in a civic organization and a patriotic organization, we teach them truth, uh, trustworthiness. In the Marines, uh, they uh, stress, especially to each other, uh, the idea of being faithful. So this is an important thing to have. It's a great quality uh, that helps build strong organizations, and people who have this quality uh, can be uh, part of that strength. So in doing that, though, we would note uh, it's not Marines or Scouts that we follow. It's God. And this is one of the things uh, of which the Scriptures uh, continually and regularly say uh, uh, that God is faithful. And so we are imitating our Father when we are faithful. We have this scripture about God, God who cannot lie. Uh, you know, we have our uh, you know, founding myths of the country uh, that George Washington said, uh, you know, Father, I cannot lie. I, I cut down the cherry tree. Well, if he was a normal boy, he probably, uh, you know, lied or didn't lie because he was caught with an ax in his hand and a cherry tree on the ground. Uh, because most people, especially in youth, uh, they will lie. Uh, God just can't do it. It's, it's so against his character. It's impossible for him to lie. It should become such of our character that we could not lie. I cannot tell a lie. That it's, again, not that I don't have the physical ability, uh, not that somebody couldn't find in my past somewhere uh, that I might have, uh, probably did, uh, don't go looking, uh, but uh, uh, that now, uh, having developed a good character, I wouldn't. I just couldn't bring myself. That should be our position, that God is that way, and we strive to be that way. So because of this, because of God's faithfulness to us, again, which we're to imitate, we can count on him in, entirely, which people in our lives uh, who count on us to meet various responsibilities, to follow through in various promises, to pay various debts and the like, but they can count on us. It says this about him in the Psalms. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. So his faithfulness is a shield. So we talk about God, our help. God, our refuge, God, our sword, our shield, our buckler, um, and on it goes to the Psalms, Psalm 19 in particular. Uh, all that's based on the absolute faithfulness of God. 
And so what he says he will do, he is uh, protecting as he has promised. He is, his faithfulness is great and enduring. From the Lamentations, written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah at one of the worst times in the whole history of Israel, as Jer Jerusalem was destroyed, and he, in the last uh, a few uh, remnants of Israel, uh, remained in the Lamentations, Jeremiah would say, Jehovah's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. With a little bit older turn of phrase, we use that uh, verse uh, for uh, the hymn, uh, Great is thy faithfulness. So God is faithful, faithful to save, faithful to rescue, faithful to help. For us as Christians, we particularly think of the quality of God to be faithful always to uh, forgive and to help us uh, in regard to sins in all respects uh, from 1 Corinthians 10 13 no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so you'll be able to endure it so in every temptation God is affirmed to be faithful Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful, and he'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Or 1 Peter 4, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what's right. In 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one more, 1 Thessalonians 5. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. So, God is faithful. The Lord our God, he's our rock. And he is our salvation. So he's absolutely reliable. He's always constant, not given to, uh, you know, impatience uh, regarding us, uh, not given uh, to, to turning us over and being just, well, I'm done with you people, uh, lightly uh, or without uh, discipline and correction, always there for us. So in that kind of absolute reliability and, and constancy, uh, we think of this uh, statement about Jesus. So if the Father was faithful, well, so will be the Son. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who on earth in his ministry is, as, as a prophet, uh, as a, uh, the Messiah and Redeemer, uh, the one who now reigns as priest and king, always faithful in all the things of his service. From Hebrews 3, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. And so the father's faithful and the son is faithful. The son was faithful to the father and the son has been faithful in all the things he said to us. In the book of Revelation, the great book of, of persecution, but ultimate victory for the saints, uh, we find the faithfulness of the Lord and King, uh, Jesus our Savior, uh, extolled again and again. Revelation 1 5. 
from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loved us and released us from sins by our blood, comes this vision. And in Revelation 3, to the angel, the church of Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. So the true witness, or lastly, Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. And so that's why the enemy is vanquished every time. He is righteous and faithful and wages war on behalf of his saints. And so the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of the Son, and then the Spirit as well and the word that he gave us, we have the faithful word. God's word is completely reliable. There's no mistake in it. There's no misleading in it. There's no false promises in it. There's no, uh, if read and interpreted correctly, there's, there's no false hopes. Not that people haven't drawn from the words of Scripture false hopes by misusing the message. But in truth and reality, when understood as he intended for us to have, it is nothing but full of trustworthy statements. Actually, Paul would remind Timothy in his preaching, Say this over and over again. He says, 1 Timothy 1.15, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, among whom I'm chief. 1 Timothy 3.1, it's a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a good work he desires to do. 1 Timothy 4, bodily discipline is only of little use or little profit, but godliness is profitable in all things, since it holds the promise of the present life and for the life to come, it's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. Or this one, 2 Timothy, it's a trustworthy statement. For if we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So the faithfulness of God found there in the trustworthy word, all of these trustworthy worthy statements. And then one to Titus as well, and not just to Timothy. To Titus, this is a trustworthy statement concerning these things of which I want to, you to speak confidently so that you will, those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These words are good and profitable for men. In that statement to Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells us the importance of the fact of the, these being trustworthy statements. It's really important that you understand the things that God says in his word, all those instructions that he gives, the instructions about coming to save, uh, seek and save for sinners, the instruction about the eldership, the instruction about uh, uh, eternal value versus uh, worldly value, uh, the statement of being faithful to God and he will be always faithful to you. All of those are of great importance, and it was especially necessary for Timothy in his role as a preacher, to know that. Those are uh, preacher passages that the preacher might know and have confidence and fully understand so the preacher could tell his audience. Again, as it said in Titus, concerning these things, which are trustworthy, it's a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. So take with confidence this trustworthy word so that the people can have confidence too. You have confidence in what God said. You preach that confidently to the brethren 
that they may, who have believed in God, it says, may be careful to engage in good deeds. These are good and profitable. And so in this case, it's good deeds, especially there, uh, Titus, uh, uh, there as he was in Crete, where we know that there was a bunch of laziness. Just uh, Paul mentioned that in Titus 1. That was kind of a characteristic of the island, characteristic of that people. You people, learn it's a trustworthy statement. And then, T Timothy, you teach it to them confidently. And so that's what we need. We need confidence in God's word because God is true and God is trustworthy and God is faithful. That we need to confidently say what he says, and that will affect the way that we live. So we want to be faithful, and we're going to we're going to base our faithfulness on Him, as it says one more about the instruction to elders, Titus one nine, holding fast the faithful word. So you teach these men, and you make these type of men elders, those who hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine, and refute those who contradict. So the preacher needs to have confidence in the faithful word. The elders need to have faithful, have confidence in the faithful word. And then they can instill that and they can teach that to the members. Uh, think about the book of Revelation. How does it end? Right. These words are faithful and true. So all over the scripture, we have the faithful and the true words of God. And this is who we imitate. This is where we find our, our confidence. This is where we find the things in which we can be faithful. And so let's talk about then this last part, faithfulness, our faithfulness. As we said, and we'll speak about it in just a minute, this is faithfulness uh, directed to other people that other people can count on us. But let's review for a moment, again, the fact that we have ultimately something even more important than that, which is our faithfulness due to God. It says in Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man will abound in blessing. It goes on in that proverb to say that the man who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished, which tells us one of the problems of greed. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of faith. People want this world's goods because they don't trust in the giving and sustaining and blessing of God. They think they have to provide for themselves. But God will bless the faithful man. So be faithful to God. Abraham, our father. The father of the faithful, he's called, right? The father of the faithful. It says this about him, Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9 and 7 is a sermon uh, and, and prayer, uh, which mentions what God has done for the nation. It says, you are the Lord God, Nehemiah 9, 7. You chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and you gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. And so Abraham believed God. Abraham was the father of the faithful. We all have that promise to Abraham. In, in Genesis, it'll say in Genesis 15, 6, he believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he's saved by this faithfulness toward God. And you made a covenant with him. So here's Abraham faithful to God, and here is God covenanting with faithful Abraham to be faithful to him. You made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the Gergesite to give it to his descendants. And you have fulfilled your promise for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders 
against Pharaoh. So here is the faithfulness of God. He made a covenant with the faithful friend of his, Abraham, and he kept that covenant through many generations. And if we go through Nehemiah 9, it's the faithfulness of God repeatedly and the unfaithfulness of Abraham's descendants up to the very day, <coughs> pardon, up to the very day in time of Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, of Nehemiah, uh, and then they are coming back from exile, trying to rebuild the city and rebuild their nation, and they're repenting of the sins they've done. But Abraham, the father of the faithful, he was faithful to God, and God was faithful to him. A covenant was entered in between them, and God was faithful to his covenant. And he, Abraham was also faithful, even if all his descendants weren't. And that's how we stand, is we've made covenant with God through Jesus Christ to obey him and to receive the blessings that he's promised, and we'll find God faithful to do that, just as God was to Abraham. In Matthew 25, the uh, picture of judgment, when they're gathered uh, to the great throne of God and divided right and left as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, he will say to those who did well, Matthew 25, 21, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Enter in into the joy of your master. You were faithful. You were good. You were faithful in a few things. I'll give you a lot more. And that's the hope we have. That's what we want before God to be found that faithful. And the, the reward is great if we are. Uh, in Revelation, we mentioned that a while ago. In Revelation, where there's war against the saints, the church uh, uh, in uh, Revelation 2.10 was told, the devil will cast some of you to prison that you may be tested. You'll have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. And so be faithful uh, to God. Uh, be faithful with joy. Be faithful in many things. This is the way of salvation. And we think about in the New Testament, I mentioned it was found, this word of faithful faith or faithfulness was found 200 times. One of the reasons why it's found so often is because of all the great many people, the scriptures uh, affirm were faithful. So it wasn't just faithful Abraham. It wasn't just uh, <clears throat> uh, Paul, the great object of mercy, uh, was found faithful from then on. But in uh, Revelation 2, uh, verse 13, there's a faithful Antipas. In Colossians uh, 1, there's a faithful uh, a man named Epaphras. In 3 John, it's faithful Gaius. In Acts 16, it's faithful Lydia. In Colossians 4, it's faithful Onesimus. In 1 Timothy 1, it's the faithful Paul, who we mentioned. 1 Peter 5, it's the faithful Silvanus. 1 Timothy 4, it's the faithful... 1 Corinthians 4, pardon. 1 Corinthians 4, it's the faithful Timothy. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, it's the faithful Tychicus. In the book of Titus, of the qualification of elders, it's their faithful children. In 1 Timothy 3, for the men who would be deacons, it's their faithful wives. So faithfulness, the great key to our relationship with God, responding to the great blessings of which he has given us uh, so many. So toward this manifold grace of God, we are to find ourselves and should be found faithful with the other men and women who have also likewise received it uh, with confidence and belief, even in times of trials and temptations, 
even in times, well, Hebrews 11, of martyrdom there in the great Hall of Fame of Faith. Okay, now, having said all that, take that as all the introduction. No, that doesn't mean we're just now starting the sermon. We're actually drawing to a close. Tonight will be a little shorter. But in this passage, this faith here, surrounded by uh, gentleness, uh, surrounded by uh, these other things toward men, surrounded by goodness, kindness, and gentleness and self-control, is this faithfulness. So having found ourselves in Christ and with Christ by faith, then we have our responsibilities to others to show that kind of faith that was shown us and that kind of faith we're to demonstrate to God, we're to also uh, show toward other folks. In 1 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul said, In the case, moreover, in this case, it is more required of stewards that one should be found faithful. There, in this case, the case of which Paul was talking about was the Corinthian church and their behavior toward one another. That they needed, in the things that they were living, with each other in a congregational setting, as uh, neighbors, and more than that, as family, as brethren in Christ, they were to be found trustworthy in the things they were doing with each other. And so it's not just in our congregations, but in whatever a Christian has as a responsibility. And you think about our many responsibilities in work, in family, in the neighborhood, in friends and other associations uh, we might have with other people, be they voluntary uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and formalized, or whether they just kind of fall to us. We didn't really volunteer for it, but it came to be our responsibility to take care of it, to the promises and commitments that we've made, uh, both uh, explicitly, you know, to our spouse, we took direct vows, uh, some of them implicitly uh, to uh, people that we uh, work with and we do a certain thing and they know they can count on us to do it. Even if we didn't, you know, formally say, I hereby swear and declare that I'll do such and so and so, but we do such and so and so and they can learn to count on us. So in whatever relationship we have, uh, familial, or among friends, or commercial dealing, or the like, we should be found faithful. And, and Christians should be especially marked and noted for their faithfulness and their trustworthiness in their duties to friends, family, neighbors, brethren, and the world. And so we should be somebody that can be completely uh, counted on. In Proverbs 15, there's this, A faithful witness will not lie but a false witness speaks lies. So just doing the things you say you'll do. Uh, just imagine how that marks somebody <laughs> almost as unique, unfortunately. But uh, how, how we would gravitate to a person like that, how, how we would seek them out if there was a trouble, if there's a thing that really needed to be done, we know we could go to them. If we have their commitment, that they will do it. Having pledged, they will carry it out. Or if they speak a thing, then we can count on it. And there might be some misunderstanding. There might be some, uh, you know, conflict. And we go, well, what was said or what was promised or what was done? And there's some people we can count on to tell us. And there's others that we can't. Be faithful. We think about those Jews mentioned uh, both by Jesus in the Gospels and also by James, from which we'll take a brief reading. Those who said many words, but they did it to get out of the things they said 
not to carry out the things they said. James 5.12, above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall into judgment. Just speak clearly and do it. That's all you need to do. You don't need to hem. You don't need to haul. Uh, you don't need to backtrack. Just speak clearly and then live up to it as a faithful person. So really, when it comes to this fruit of the Spirit, I think we can probably uh, you know, say or, or ascertain if a person has this or not uh, easier uh, than some of the rest. We might ask, is that person a loving person? And unless one is just exceptionally, yes. Uh, they're, they're, how would people say, oh, absolutely. Um, but there are some you could say yes. But you ask their neighbors and you say, uh, is that a patient person? Well, um, yeah or no. <laughs> is that a kind person? Is that a good person? But on this, on faithfulness, just ask them, can this guy be counted on? Can you count on this guy or gal? Can you count on this person? And on that one, you know, some of those others, people might be a little hesitant to, to give a judgment or say much. But just say, can you count on them? And if, if people won't just say, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, uh, then that's a problem. It, would, would we pass that test? Are you a faithful person? Are, are you dependable? Are you trustworthy? This is what we ought to be. Uh, Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all time. And a brother's born for the day of adversity. So your friend is there, good times, bad times. Your brother's there. He's somebody you can count on. Uh, there's another proverb in the next chapter gives this warning. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. So maybe he has a lot of people he says is his friends, but he doesn't, not probably very close to many of them. But there's also a friend, though. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So that's the kind of friend we ought to be, that, that close one. That again, the friend you can count on. <clears throat> Think about this as we give two more Old Testament examples, and then we'll be done. But we remember about Daniel. When <clears throat> he eventually, in Daniel 6, got himself thrown into the lion's den by his enemies. His enemies didn't throw him in the lion's den because he did anything wrong. His friend, his enemies threw him in the lion's den because he had a job they wanted. They wanted the power, position, prestige, obvious wealth that went with it. They wanted that that Daniel had. Daniel was so trustworthy and so competent and so effective in his, uh, his governance and his taking care of affairs that one empire took over and another empire came in and Daniel kept his job. And the guys who came in with the new empire wanted his job, and they didn't want him to keep it. And so they tried to find a thing to accuse him of. And this is what it says they found. The commissioners and the satraps began to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to his government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption insomuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was found in him. And so there is, I've, I've given a lot of examples. I've given quite a few uh, synonyms and parallels to explain about faithfulness. Well, here is a divine explanation of the kind of faithfulness Daniel had, which is uh, held as an example for us 
no negligence or corruption. He did everything he was supposed to do, and he didn't take advantage in any way of things he could have to enrich himself. And really, the guys who wanted his job enough to lie about him and throw him into the lion's den, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be corrupt. They, they, you know, you think about if they'll do that to get that job, what are they going to do when they get it? They're going to use that to line their own pockets. But he didn't. He was faithful. There was no negligence. There was no corruption. If anybody was asked, can you count on Daniel? Everybody would have said, oh, yeah. And that's faithful. That is a fruit of the Spirit to have faithfulness to that degree. And so this is a spiritual thing. It, it is a thing uh, acknowledged by the world that the world generally likes. The world often demands of it, uh, uh, people uh, be faithful to a task, that they have uh, you know, a fiduciary duty uh, to take care of the money, or they have a position of trust or a duty of care to take care of various things for people. But the kind of faithfulness that we're to have isn't just for a few extraordinary administrators. It really should be, you know, court court appointed and court overseen and, and people checking on it. And it, it. It's not an extraordinary thing, and it shouldn't be an extraordinary thing among the faithful of God that they're faithful to others, that we would live up to these kind of re- requirements of faithfulness. As it says in Jeremiah 17, to close, Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the waters, that extends its roots by a stream, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield its fruit. And so the faithfulness we need is the faithfulness first in and to and for God. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is is the Lord. You know, that becomes a person that men can count on too. God can count on him. And he grows in these things toward with, through faith in God. And so other people will be able to greatly count on him as he does. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.